0: Welcome to episode 11, where I'm discussing schema therapy with clinical psychologist Sarah Thompson. Sarah skillfully talks through this fascinating world of schema therapy, including its evolution, what schemas are, how we can understand what these are like when they're activated in us, the types of schemas you can typically see in men and women, and even Irish people in general, and why schema therapy is so powerful. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Therapy Explained podcast. This week I'm joined by Sarah Sampson. Sarah is a senior clinical psychologist trained in DBT and specializing in schema therapy. Sarah runs a private practice based in Dublin presently doing all of her work online. Today we're going to speak about schema therapy if you wouldn't mind by starting Sarah by giving us an idea of what schema therapy is.
1: Hi James thanks for having me. Um, Yeah I'd be delighted to. So Schema therapy is what we would call I suppose a relational psychological therapy and by that we mean that the therapeutic relationship is really important and it, you know we sort of talk about the therapy relationship we actively work on the therapy relationship and it's a part of the healing experience or what we call in schema therapy limited reparenting. Um, it's considered a third wave CBT so what that means is sort of it build, it builds on CBT and brings it further and draws in other therapeutic approaches it's, it's very integrative um, and it also so it's integrative in the sense that it integrates other types of therapy like gestalt psychodynamic attachment theory um, and it's it's very much got a developmental focus so very much looking at early development and the needs of children and bringing that bringing those needs and meeting those needs in the therapy
0: so it's uh maybe like cbt but with a more of a focus on the therapeutic relationship and uh, the developmental side of things which cbt doesn't put as much emphasis on cbt is more about here and now whereas schema therapy looks to integrate all of those things
1: yeah and it's it's similar to cbt that's very active it's very change focused you know unlike say a pure psychoanalysis the therapist be very active very real very genuine so c b t is very like that in the therapist is active and change focused and warm um and it, it but it d- does a lot of work on the past, which c b t would be more present focused. Could you
0: explain what the word schema means?
1: Yeah, so I suppose within schema theory or in schema therapy, a schema is like a filter through which we view the world so because of early life experiences and early life needs not being met you can develop what's what we conceptualize as a schema and it's a collection of sort of thoughts feelings memories which becomes activated when something happens so let me give you an example so let's say for example When you were a child, um, you your parents had difficulties with emotional connection, and they didn't emotionally nurture you. So they fed you, they clothed you, but they didn't give you love. They didn't tell you that you were loved. They didn't give you physical affection. They didn't emotionally connect with you. And you grew up um, having some of your needs met, but but having this one emotional nurturing need not met, which is really common, by the way. And you we would con- conceptualize you as having then what we call an emotional deprivation schema. You are deprived emotionally and you have painful, ex- pain- painful feelings related to that. So if you're, if you meet somebody and you're in a relationship with them, you might find that you're getting along long Everything's going fine. You know, your schemas are not activated. You're happy out. And then something happens. Maybe they don't return a call. They don't return a text and your emotional deprivation schema is activated this filter through which you now see the world and you're filled with a rush of painful emotion that is somewhat related to the present but also pulls on all of this unmet need from the past
0: so it's like a i'm not sure it's parts the term that you use in schema therapy but it's like a part of you gets activated some of it you might be aware of but a lot of it will be being fed from Maybe things that you don't even you weren't you couldn't even speak at the time preverbal you know it can be so young, and that is the the part that you gets activated, and you start to see the world through that lens. It's almost like sometimes I liken it to maybe like a sub personality because a personality is a lot of things mixed together, Do you know it's not just how we think it's how we act, how we feel, both physically and emotionally. Would that be a fair analysis?
1: yeah, there's a huge overlap with parts work and it it is fundamentally parts work, although I think the part would map more onto what we call a mode. So, but this so, when your schemas are activated, they're sort of like the issues or the wounds, mm-hmm. and they usually belong to sort of the vulnerable child part, mm-hmm. and then the uh, modes are sort of how you cope with that. The defense is very much like the psychodynamic idea of the defense, how you de- how you defend against the schemas that are activated. So schemas are sort of a little bit more similar to core beliefs in CBT, but they're richer in the sense that they involve emotions and memories. Um, so it's sort of like the wounds that then the, that, that often sit within the f- child part. And then the parts work is very relevant when we talk about modes and modes are effectively how you cope with those wounds.
0: Mm, so they are coping strategies.
1: Yes, that were very adaptive in childhood really helps. So with that example I just gave where someone didn't get love, um, they may, you know, so one of the things that's very common is they will detach or it's a form of dissociation, shut off from their emotional needs. So they mightn't feel emotions as strongly. They'll be more detached and shut off. And we call that the detached protector mode because it's adaptive for a child whose, whose emotional needs aren't being nurtured. To in some way distance themselves or detach from those needs.
0: Mm, so it's like a way of feeling safer from the those emotions.
1: Exactly, and and human beings are incredibly creative about the different ways in which they cope. So there's very many different ways of coping, uh, and that's one of the things when in the early stages of schema therapy, we're figuring out what coping modes did you develop. What are the modes and schemas that trigger these modes? What ways did you cope with your unmet childhood needs
0: i really like that and um, the way of framing it uh, with the sense of it being creative to kind of destigmatizes when we can get angry or you know responses that wouldn't be kind of deemed acceptable sometimes and um, it shows this is a creative way that your nervous system has responded to keep you safe to protect you although Absolutely. it's maybe not as adaptive to this very instance right now
1: yeah because Some modes can be very difficult in the present for example like a self-aggrandizer mode that's maybe somebody who's very concerned with appearance who maybe in order to feel good about themselves might devalue other people or criticize other people or really focus on you know material things. We call that in schema therapy a self-aggrandizer mode and if a client has that mode it can be difficult to name but you know when we look at the fact that this was something that was maybe promoted in childhood and helped the little child feel stronger or feel you know have more self-esteem and now it's it's sort of becoming problematic in relationships at times because people don't maybe like being criticized or maybe this mode is being turned on their partner or in their work colleagues and we can in a very non-shaming way in a very uh, understanding way identify and, and map this state that really did make sense for the little child at that time and and also look at the disadvantages of it in the present just to
0: kind of clarify and um, to make sure i'm getting sense of it there so we have schemas so schema is the wound is that part of a part is a, a schema related to a part
1: um they tend it tends to be that those wounds happen in childhood mm. and they tend to be sort of sitting within the vulnerable child part.
0: And would there be other parts that are common in the conceptualization with schema therapy? You know, so you've got the, the inner child or the wounded child.
1: Yeah. So people, so you, everyone will always have their, their little side or their vulnerable child side. Yeah. Um, they will also usually have a critic side, which we call in schema therapy the demanding parent or the punitive parent or more simply the critic. So that's those messages they picked up that they are often repeating to themselves. Sometimes the critic can be extremely harsh. Sometimes in, in the situation of an emotional neglect, there might be a demand. So no one's paying attention to my emotional needs, so my needs are too much and I shouldn't have them. So even though they might have heard punitive messages, just the very fact of being neglected builds up the critic. Messages from society, messages from schooling, sort of land in the critic. So we've got the critic side, the vulnerable child side and we also all have our healthy adult which in schema therapy we're always trying to build and our healthy adult is connected and in tune with the vulnerable child in tune with emotions and then the adult coping modes will usually have at least one or two and there's loads of those um so sometimes people will might have three or four of those
0: and then each of those may have their own schema and then each schema will have its own mode to protect itself is that right
1: so so the they usually it depends so people who've had a lot of neglect or abuse will have they'll be high in all the schemas so you tend to work more with the modes um and people maybe who have have had healthier backgrounds they might have just one or two schemas that you're working on so you know the there sometimes are when a scheme is activated you, you can go into one particular mode or one of a few different modes so you tend to do sort of mode work or working with the different parts, initially. If there's lot if they're high in lots of schemas, and if they've only got a couple of schemas and they're healthier, then you work with the schemas. You work. You go straight for the wounds. So I, you, you're always ultimately in schema therapy. What you're trying to do, your your main goal is to heal and nurture the vulnerable child, to meet the needs of the vulnerable child and you just bypass the coping modes to do that. So if someone doesn't have very strong modes or they're, they're much healthier, you just go straight into working with, on the schemas and working with a vulnerable child. If someone is very defended and has lots of these coping modes, you work with those using mainly chair work to get past them so you can do that work and nurture and meet the needs of the vulnerable child, which is your ultimate goal in schema therapy to build a healthy adult and meet the needs of the little child
0: but when there's more and maybe more traumas there it takes a little bit more time to be able to access that and so one intervention that you might use is chair work so can you kind of talk us through how that can help to gain access to the the child part
1: yes so for example if someone is um let's say in their i mentioned the self-aggrandizer mode or the detached protector mode so they'll be speaking to you in the session from that mode and you want to really they might be telling you about something that happened in work that's really upset them and you want to hear their feelings and validate and nurture their emotional experience but if they're detached they'll be telling you about it and they'll be giving they won't be in touch with the emotion so they'll be saying yeah this happened and that happened and the other happened and I'll be asking you know the therapist will be asking how do you feel and they won't tell they'll do many different creative things to avoid doing that so if i know the client and i have a sense that it's a detached mode or any mode i will say okay hang on i think this is your detached side i think this is detached james you know you're not feeling anything you're it feels very fuzzy talking to you you're telling me what happened but there's no emotional connection i think this is your detached side so the client will Hopefully buy into that and agree or disagree. But if they if they feel if you've done some prep already and you've identified the modes What we'll do is we'll ask that detached that we'll ask them to move chairs and really speak from this detached side as to why You're not going to share emotions with me why you're out of touch with the emotions Tell me all of the reasons why it's a really bad idea to to let emotions into the session today so we hear from the detached side and what it does for the person and why it's really good. And then we ask them to sit in another chair and be that vulnerable child part of them that's, that's missing out on therapy because the detached side is blocking it. That's missing out on compassion and understanding because they're so detached, they're not, fe- they're not connected in the session. So we do various different creative things with chairs <laughs> to bypass that side
0: what might you hope would be the next step following that
1: so when when you're speaking to somebody in therapy who has sort of who's connected their feelings it's very different so they're they're telling you about something and they're and they're feeling it and they're they're, they're sobbing and you're validating and understanding and hearing and then there's a relief at the end there's like you know i felt understood i felt cared for i feel i've processed that um so that's when someone is in a mode they're not getting that they don't get that relief Mm. from co-regulation of of sharing something with somebody who understands and and sort of that allowing you to sort of move forward in your coping or processing something Um. so that's one thing that you're looking for so it might be that you're doing that in the present just co-regulation validation or you want to go back into a really painful time and heal it and to the other big technique that we use a lot of, which is imagery rescripting of unmet early childhood needs. So I, I'd want to see that connection with emotion, that emotional processing and the relief that that brings.
0: Okay, now that makes a lot of sense. And it's something that comes up in a lot of other therapies as well as those protector parts that come up that you need to give them space. And, you know, some therapies would really, I think internal family systems, I'm not sure if, how much you might know about it, but they'd say that you have to, in some cases at least, you have to gain the respect or communicate with those protector parts before you can get to the, the inner child and that inner child sounds like they're, or the kind of wounded child, it sounds like they're neglected in a sense, maybe from an emotional perspective and it can be so nourishing to be able to talk to someone who's in a in that co-regulatory state, you know, they're, they're able to be compassionate to them and, mm. and there's something so interesting about that, about co-regulation that when you can com- have two people in that space that it can be curative
1: yeah um i I think there's a huge overlap between ifs and schema therapy or any type of parts work and you know schema therapy is very integrative so basically what that means is it's begged borrowed and stolen from other therapies and uh, particularly gestalt therapy um and attachment work so I think there's huge overlap, and I'm really interested in IFS. I haven't had a chance to read much about it, but when I hear some of the interventions, it sounds so similar. Which is wonderful that you know that that different therapies are 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 doing similar things in many ways.
0: Mm, No, it it certainly does sound um, very similar, especially when we get to talk to ourselves. That being a, it's kind of like a meditative stance where it's you know eventually hopeful to talk to your own parts and be that healthy adult to kind of cure um, the those other parts that need help uh-huh. um, i imagine you need to be quite tuned in to be able to kind of pick up on these these shifts in parts when you're working with people to know if uh, you know a mode has been activated versus if they've just shut down you know maybe they're maybe they're being able to get in touch in their emotions but all of a sudden they're shut down and um, is that something that there's some level of intuition that comes with it
1: um, as a scheme therapist, you're very active and you're. it's the skill of attunement. So it's the same skill, you know, that a parent has for their child. You mentioned having a one-year-old, you know, when you're trying to figure out what does that cry mean? Is that the I need my nappy change cry or that I'm hungry cry? So you're constantly tuning in and watching for facial expression changes or eyes moving or a, sh- a shift in affect, you know. And sometimes you would feel things so if a client is telling me about something really upsetting and I feel the sadness because you have to be in touch with your own emotions as a schema therapist, and they're totally not sad at all you know I'm like that's information to me you're talking about something really sad I feel sad hearing it do you feel sad and they will if they're in a detached mode they will say no you know I'm over it it's in the past or something along those lines say you know, can you check in and tune into your body and notice if there's any sensations? And often, what I'll do is I'll sort of probe the mode a bit and see: can I just get in? Can I just get to the feeling really quickly by probing? Mm-hmm. And and the, and if I can't, then the mode is stronger. Then I'll I'll move to mode work. So that's uh, I think you might be in your detached mode, and we know that when you're in your detached mode, you're not getting much out of therapy. So let's drop everything and work with that side. Uh, so the 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 client has to be willing to do this stuff that feels a bit crazy or feels a bit weird of swapping a chair or speaking from this side which is sort of like a dramatic mm. thing to do mm. and and has overlaps with psychodrama and you know other therapies where you're acting out a part or acting out a role so that's the piece that i say to clients is you have to be willing to try these sort of mad sounding things that i'm going to ask you to do
0: (laughs) yeah i can imagine that can be uh yeah a little bit intimidating for people at times yeah we've kind of mentioned a couple of different parts uh, and and it sounds like there might be different modes as well is that right you know like let's say in in cbt there might be you have a list of kind of unhelpful thinking styles mind reading critical self black and white thinking i'm wondering is there a, a similar list of modes that you might be on the lookout for
1: yeah so there's Uh, Jeff Young originally came up with like 18 18 schemas and like I think nine or ten modes but they're being added to all of the time so Arno Arnst came out with a paper just this year I think in 21 and with like adding new schemas to it and new modes and sort of they had a working group to decide this stuff um so the questionnaires that you fill out for schema therapy I think they have only the 18 schemas and uh I think is it sort of 12 modes or something like that? So you use that as a basis, but you're clinically looking for other modes. Um and you just sort of see there's certain ones that come up like detached vector is extremely common, um, which is like a form of dissociation, detached self-soother, where you maybe drink alcohol or you know, numb out in some way through substances, or watching telly or shopping or something like that, is really common over controller which actually isn't on the original one um is really common in the likes of say eating disorders Um, and that's where you're just really controlling and strict about certain things which gives you a sense of control that might be missing in other parts of your life um so you sort of you know you get familiar with the different modes but you're always open to each person's unique version of the mode and you and you know there are also sort of versions of modes that look a little bit different uh, that are unique to the person and because you're so tuned in you know you sort of know what's healthy psychological functioning is so when you see anything other than that it's usually a mode i
0: wonder are there any irish not necessarily irish specific modes but is there ones that might you feel might be more relevant that us as an irish people may be able to relate to it's just because i was thinking earlier kind of talking about you know kind of detached parts of us and for some reason um, angela's ashes popped into my mind where frank mccourt was talking about the difference between americans or maybe he's talking about movies where in america you know your dad tells you you love he loves you or you tell him that you love him whereas from his background that was something you'd never do so there's some form of uh schema there yeah, I'm wondering if you'd feel like there'd be any that we could relate to on an Irish level.
1: Yeah, um, I think they sort of show up in in in, action, in other cultures as well as us. Like for example, I I would notice detached protector really common, particularly in men, Irish men. So that's just not. I will intellectually talk about something, but I'm not, I'm the feelings are just somewhere else. They're just, I'm shut off from the feelings that's really common detached self-suited with alcohol is obviously very common and more with drugs now as well um i I, this sort of in in mem i know to say my partner's protestant and i sort of come across people from the protestant community and the stoicism or or stiff upper lip i find to be quite strong in that in that community so the sense of in schema therapy we talk about the pollyanna mode where you just sort of say everything's fine even though it's totally not so you might have a client coming in and saying, yeah, everything's great, everything's fine. Yeah, no, every-. and you're like, why are you in therapy? Mm,
0: yeah, it's grand.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's grand. And you're like, so, you know, if I, oh, I'm grand, I'm fine. So, so I would hear that a lot and it. You know, it's you, you just, okay, let's try again. What's really going on? So I think that sense of putting on a brave face, uh, the Pollyanna mode, I see that. I see detached protector a lot. I see detached self-soother a lot and over controller a lot in women. And I I think that these are probably more common in other cultures, you know, than- No,
0: it's an uh, incident you say that attached protector, My partner's from New Zealand and New Zealand men are traditionally very stoic. They're just mm. kind of, they're a hardy bunch, but uh, yeah, men of few words a lot of the time. Uh, but and that
1: sounds like Irish men, doesn't mm,
0: it? Yeah, I think they, they're even maybe more so. Um, but yeah, you can definitely kind of relate. I think that's sometimes where we get on. There's fair overlap between the two cultures.
1: We're probably more similar across, than than we are different. Mm. Um, and it would be interesting to hear from people working with, you know, from different cultures. I worked, um, I did a bit of schema therapy with, I worked with refugees and asylum seekers. Um, and, you know, I suppose what I, what I saw more in that population was really healthy processing. Mm. So I saw less of those modes. But I think when you have childhood neglect or trauma, you see the same types of modes if we could
0: just kind of take a step back to talk about where schema therapy came from uh Sarah because it it does have a fairly interesting backstory would you mind talking us through how it was developed
1: yeah so it was developed by Jeffrey Young and he was working with Aaron Beck who's the pioneer of CBT um and you had mentioned that he had trained as a psychoanalyst so i don't really know much about Beck himself but um, Jeff Young talked to recently, actually, in an interview, he talked about how he was having, whilst he was working as a, as a CBT therapist himself and he was uh, working within Beck's Institute in the States, he was having his own problems with loneliness and intimacy. And he went to a CBT therapist and didn't feel that he sort of had made much progress on these particular problems. And a friend of his was going to a gestalt therapist and really recommended him. So he went to the Gestalt therapist, and after about 10 sessions found, you know, he had really understood things a lot better. Um, and that was sort of his inspiration for sort of building on CBT and keeping and adding to sort of the techniques that are really helpful um, and but, but broadening it and, and integrating it in some of more of these other techniques. And the chair work, you know, is, is a really big part of Gestalt as far as I understand. And that's obviously a core part. Um, imagery scripting I think so as well but I'm not 100% sure on that whether that's a big part of gestalt and one of the really nice things about schema therapy is that it's really structured you have a map so you're really creative and you're really flexible about what you're going to work on excuse me but you you know you you have an overarching guiding principle <coughs> excuse me and and your formulation so I would say that he brought some of those structures and elements of CBT that are really helpful and useful and just and then wove in some of these techniques from from other therapies and it's hugely you know developmental and and draws very highly on uh, attachment theory as we mentioned so look you know what do children need at this age and and how do we do that in the imagery rescripting? and and what is the attachment like and how do I foster this attachment
0: it is interesting how, uh, so Beck, the pioneer of CBT, um, had a psychoanalytical background. I think he maybe described it as not being active enough, and then he came up with CBT. It was very active, but maybe yeah. uh, its shortcoming being it doesn't attend to the developmental side of things that the relationship as much. And so the pendulum swung one way, and then maybe it went too far that way. And Jeffrey Young brought it back to, I guess, his understanding of what seems to be more in the middle. So it being. Um, developmental attachment based but also active it's not as slow paced as maybe something like psychoanalysis psychoanalysis
1: yeah like you would interrupt clients all of the time <laughs> so if somebody is in a mode and they're talking from that mode you'll you'll hear enough so if someone might be in their critical mode like i'm rubbish i'm crap and i should on this and i should on that and you'd be like hang on a second here i think this is the critic mm. you know and we're going to stop the critic um and one of the techniques you do with the critic is you put the critic on the chair you'd hear from the the critic just a little bit but you don't want them to take over and then you move the client out of the chair and you speak to the critic and you tell off the critic Mm -hmm. so you'd be saying how dare you speak to james like that that is total rubbish what you're talking about depending on the level of of strength so it's really active and but yet we're using psychoanalytic and psychodynamic ideas about early life experiences. And but, and but we've way more techniques, I suppose, to address those. It's it's not just about bringing it into the consciousness, understanding it's, okay, we know about it, now what are we gonna do about it?
0: And would you be talking to an empty chair where the person had been sitting and that's the, yeah.
1: Always talk to the empty chair, yeah. <laughs> you don't wanna like berate the client no. who's in the critic mode. Um, but you hear from it, and then you move them out of the chair. and. Mm that's a really powerful intervention um is that what you, you mentioned
0: earlier when you mentioned limited parenting because that's what it kind of sounds like but i could be getting that wrong
1: um it's it's an overlap i suppose always in the therapeutic relationship you're doing limited repairing so that's like you're being a healthy caring adult mm. so that's from like the present focused validation and empathy and listening to challenging the critic and then mainly in the imagery rescripting. So that's where you go back into the early childhood experience. So I'll give you I'll give you an example of of how that might work. So this will be a typical schema therapy intervention. So let's say the client comes in, the person has had a difficult difficulty in work or difficulty in their relationship and they're telling you about it and it brings up a really strong emotion. And you get the feel, you know from their history that this emotion is partly got to do with what's happened in the present. So their boss criticised their work, but they're absolutely devastated, sobbing, really hurt. And you know that, OK, so it's really it's upsetting when the boss criticised your work, but it's not usually this upsetting. So this feeling is got to do with the little side. This feeling is from the past. So you would ask them to really tune into that emotion and connect with times in the past or memories from the past when they felt something similar and we call that an affect bridge so you're using the emotion or the affect as a bridge to the past and they will come up with an image of them as a little person you want usually before the age of 10 or 12 although you work on later once you've done the early work and a time when maybe they're being berated by a parent or unfairly criticised, or being attacked by a teacher or being bullied. And you come into, so you get an image of that, you really get them to feel that and tell you exactly what's going on. And then you would enter the image and re-script it. So you would stand up to the bully, you would tell the parents to stop, you would do anything that a good adult would do in that situation, and then you nurture and care for the little child so you would tell them give them all of the messages that a good parent would so this is this limited reparenting so it might be you're special you're lovable you're good you know it's it's not okay that mum talks to you like that and I'm not going to let mum do that anymore and and so on so you're you're re scripting, and with the child, you're doing this sort of a more limited form of re parenting, giving the child the messages that they should have gotten.
0: Imagery scripting is something I'm uh, really interested in, and it is amazing that even though what you're doing didn't actually happen, it doesn't matter as long as the needs that are unmet are met at the time. So, as long as whatever it needed to feel safe or feel loved, if you can do that during imagery scripting, that seems to be restorative and seems to update everything that came out of that memory
1: yeah so like the i suppose neuroscience element would show that the same parts of the brain are active when we're imagining something versus when we're experiencing it so we're really tapping into that part of the brain that experienced it and we're giving the brain a new experience um so we're sort of retraining their brain at at some deep level they will remember the memory exactly as it happened, but it, the emotions will be different or it will have an, an added, it won't be, it's usually less painful. It's usually, um, you know, they can they can bring it into consciousness without it being as hurtful, but they'll remember it exactly as it did happen before. And then they'll remember the change. It's it's a technique that's used with adult survivors of war and violent trauma as well, where they might be getting loads of flashbacks and intrusive memories. Uh, quite a lot of overlap with EMDR in that sense, and they're using imagery scripting with that population as well as EMDR.
0: My understanding, and I'm not sure is it the exact same as is where you do it three times, you relive the memory from the child perspective, then you relive it from the healthy adult perspective, witnessing it, and then you live it from the or where the healthy adult is helping them giving them what they needed and then you live it again from the child's perspective where they're witnessing the healthy adult supporting them is that the same uh, protocol or can it depend
1: it it can depend but we would often do all of those three things but it's more you you base it on the client does this image feel done does it feel like we can move on from it or does it feel like we need to do it again and we would mainly do it from where they're the vulnerable child but we would bring them in as a healthy adult and see it from their perspective as well so the first time we go in we meet the needs immediately and if there's any sometimes there's just a little bit so let's say in that example you you rescripted and you spoke to mum maybe you also need to speak to dad because there were other times when dad did it and you go back and then you speak to dad and and you want You want to build a relationship between their healthy adult side. So you bring in their healthy adult to see what was going on as well. So we do all of those three things, but in a more maybe flexible fluid way and more sort of a a little bit less structured, I suppose.
0: I'm wondering then, because I know from working with people that not everyone has a healthy adult mode. How do you approach that when someone doesn't appear to have access to that uh, in the first instance?
1: So, um, i suppose it's it's really true the 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 normal present focused therapy where you're building up that ability to sort of reflect that ability to regulate and also with a lot of skills teaching so teaching how to deal with feelings teaching mindfulness skills, emotion regulation skills, I'd probably draw on, on DBT and ACT a lot, acceptance and commitment therapy and dialectical behavior therapy to teach skills. And once the person has a level of ability to manage feelings, then we go back. But everyone so the fact that they're in therapy and coming means they've some form of a healthy adult. Mm, okay. Yeah. Um and you're, you're you're you know you're you're constantly showing what's healthy in your Uh, in the corrective emotional experience that you're giving you're building up that side you know by apologizing if you're late or or by highlighting this is how we sit with a feeling by teaching active skills so you're you're slowly growing the healthy adult and once they have the ability to emotionally regulate at some level then you go back
0: you mentioned earlier about that you um the formulation so formulation from a cpd perspective or even an EMDR perspective you're trying to make sense of the problem how you might break it into its different parts and i guess with this is where you map out someone's schemas is is that right
1: so we usually have what we call a mode map and it's just a map it's like a parts map so you can you can do it in all different ways you can draw by hand or you can type it and it's just sort of you draw you draw the vulnerable child side you draw like the the detached side or whatever the coping modes are you draw the healthy adult and the critic and you just put in the messages that are there so the message the critic is giving and, and the core emotions and schemas of the of the vulnerable child are active in the different coping modes so it's just a like a way of figuring out what mode the person is in and it's you you complete that and share it with the client and then they will make some amendments or suggestions that you incorporate so for example it's not that it's not that the vulnerable child is made to feel guilty it's more that they're afraid so you sort of adapt the map and you just the map is uh, i suppose a draft and it's really i suppose so that you're both on the same page and that you you talk about how we're going to reduce this side which is where the coping sides are and, and integrate those and we're going to build this bit the healthy adult which is going to get bigger um and it's going to then your healthy adult is now going to care for the vulnerable child and i'm going to show you how to do that we're going to do lots and lots of caring for the little side, and then your healthy adult is going to get bigger and is going to be able to be in touch. We're going to reduce the critic, and we're going to reduce and integrate these coping sides. So it's like a visual prop mm-hmm. to show the map of the work that you're doing, um, and and it's also ensures that you're both on the same page and that you're sort of the 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 client can sort of go make those little changes or or big changes it's usually more little changes and then as a therapist you have it as a guiding map you know which mode is this person in or what are the core feelings of the vulnerable child so it's, it's a quick way to sort of go hang on we need to we need to get out of this side and into the the vulnerable child and it's, it's, it's just a pulling together of the assessment phase, I suppose, that we have this map going forward. Mm,
0: so you can agree on what you're working on, both make sense of it, and um, refer to it when you need to. And and I'm wondering, how do you know when therapy is maybe coming to a close? Yes,
1: yeah, so... Um, usually the client will... The healthy adult will be really strong. They'll be talking about lots of healthy coping. They'll have been nurturing their vulnerable child. Um, they will be feeling better feeling happier having better relationships you know engaging in their playful child and their happy child will be coming out more and there's a very strong sense that that they're really doing incredibly well because ultimately in schema therapy it's about building their healthy adult to take care of their vulnerable child so they don't need you anymore Mm. um and it's a medium to long-term therapy but you know most people will be seeing sort of significant results after about six or eight months, and then it's just ultimately down to to the person of when they feel they've had enough therapy and they want to finish, but you would be expecting them to finish.
0: You're clearly very passionate about schema therapy, Sarah. I'm wondering what it is about it that sets it apart for you.
1: It's the focus on the early child really resonates with me, and like I've done lots of different therapies um the focus on the early child and, and the variety of techniques you can do to try different things to help people with these problems so as a therapist you're very active you work really hard and and then the other thing is just the profound change that you see in clients from doing schema therapy and um, it really resonates with me based on my own experiences i've done my own schema therapy i'm doing my own schema therapy as a client and, and and the feedback from clients is really positive
0: it sounds like it's a a, a great model to be able to capture someone's problems to help them understand it. it gives you lots to be able to work with and that the outcomes can be so significant
1: yeah like i would have worked in adult mental health settings for most of my career where you would have had sort of severe complex and enduring difficulties and it was really you know I suppose I found DBT really helpful in terms of working with some of those people, but it was really the exposure to scheme that really helped me understand, you know, at a deep level, Mm -hmm. what people were experiencing and, um, you know, I wish I could go back and apply schema therapy to some, some people that I would have met earlier in my career. So I think it's the level of depth and the, you know, how deep, it really helps you understand very complex things, and it gives you a huge menu of ways of, of different things to try to help that person.
0: If anyone listening in today wanted to learn more about schema therapy, do you have any go-to books that you'd recommend? Yes,
1: yeah, so there's a really good um, self-help book. Um, let me see. It's called Homecoming and it's by um, John Bradshaw um homecoming reclaiming and championing your inner child so he's not a schema therapist i think i'm not sure if he's still alive but it's very much working with your inner child and looking at the different parts and very much about nurturing and having a good relationship with um your little side based on unmet needs so that's a really good place to start um Gita Jacob has a book specific to schema therapy so her, her first name is G-I-T-T-A Gita or Gitta Jacob and it's called Breaking Negative Thinking Patterns a schema therapy self-help and support book um, that's a very good one and Jeff Young and Janet Closco have a, have one called Reinventing Your Life which is very schema specific as well um and for people with relate in relationship there's a really good podcast for couples called fierce intimacy by terry real and again he uh, isn't a schema therapist as far as i know but it, there's a huge overlap in the type of work he talks about the child part of you that's activated and the coping sides so very much that idea of parts and uh perhaps he's he's ifs trained i'm not sure but when I listen to that I it, it sounds very very like schema therapy and it's really really useful stuff for navigating a relationship
0: brilliant no that's uh, that's great as and as you say they aren't always necessarily schema therapy specific but they're all working from the same kind of angles to give you a solid foundation at least of understanding what's going on which can you know be so helpful and mm. um, so plenty of books here to add to the wish list um, but uh, thanks so much for that. That's all we have time for today, Sarah. That was excellent. Your exuberance really shone through and uh, I think we got thank a lot you. squeezed in. I, I'm not sure what the word count is, but I'm sure it's uh, one of our higher <laughs> higher counts for an episode.
1: Thanks so much, James. Really enjoyed speaking about it to you and um, really loved the opportunity. So thank you very much. Thank you, Sarah. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye.